0: listening to Connection Church's podcast. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I'm glad you are here. It's awesome to see you you bring your family to church on Sunday, on Father's Day, Um, and and excited to celebrate that. Um, Also today, um, you saw the video about VBS. We had an awesome week with that. It was a great week to see all the kids being poured into and had a chance to teach them on Sunday. It was funny because five of our pastors taught the five lessons in the main group sessions uh, during the week. And I've never seen our pastors more nervous than they were given a five minute talk to a bunch of uh, kindergartners, you know, and uh, we were all pacing. I mean, I think they wore out the, the carpet in my office pacing back and forth. You know, I don't know what, what am I going to say? How am i am going to talk? Are they looking at me like I'm crazy? And, yeah, they are. And, and it's just kids. Um, but but uh, once we got in there, we had a blast doing that. and It was a good week and uh, just had a great time. So um, today we're starting a new series. Uh, the name of the series is Good Goodbye. And we're going to jump from the book of Revelation back into the gospel of John, where we left off a few weeks ago. And we're going to be um, in the end of chapter 13 and then in chapter 14. Um, And this section of scripture we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks is called the... um, Jesus's farewell discourse. This is um, where Jesus begins to tell them that he's leaving. He's told them about the cross, but he begins to expound on that even more. He begins to make sure that they understand that he's going to be gone, that he's not going to be there. Um, And he begins to prepare them for what they'll be facing. And so as you think about these, the next three weeks, we came up with the name, Good Goodbye, because it's actually, as we're going to see a good thing that Jesus left them, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of the father, where he now makes intercession for us. Because when he did that, he was able to send back the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit moves and works in our lives. And so Jesus's goodbye, though hard for the disciples, they would ultimately find out, as we should find out in our lives, that it was a good goodbye. It was a good thing that he left. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks um, is how this was a good goodbye for us and what that means for us. So if you have your Bibles, we'll look in uh, chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible that'll be up on the screen. If you'd like a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, we can do that at our next steps tables if you just stop by there and let them know. Um, I want to read just the first verse right there. Verse 33 is where we're going to start, chapter 13, verse 33, and then we'll jump in and get going. It says, "My children." I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is good seed. And I pray God that it would find good soil in our hearts to produce in us the fruit, God, that you want to produce. God, I pray that this wouldn't be just a good message, God, that this would be something of power. God, let us not have a form of godliness and yet deny your power. Holy Spirit, as we're talking about you today in so many ways, would you invade our hearts? Would you give us hearts to receive what it is you want to do today? Openness, God, to do and receive what you would have for us. Jesus, we thank you for being here now through the power of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen, amen. How many of you have ever had a dream that was so real, when you woke up, you kind of thought it actually happened. You ever had a dream like that? Like, uh, I don't know, um, I've dreamed before that Susan and I got into a fight, and the next morning when I woke up, I was angry. You ever done that, where you just wake up angry? And I was like, ooh, boy, I can't believe she did that. And then she'd be like, what's wrong with you? I'd be like, you know what you did. You know what I'm saying? She's got no clue. And it takes a minute to kind of shake yourself and realize like, all right, that was a dream. It wasn't real. Um, I know that uh, the other night I dreamed that I was sitting right over in this section here. I wasn't preaching that day. And the place was packed, it was a a summer um, Sunday, but still the place was packed out. Um, People were standing around everywhere. And then I don't remember who was preaching. I never saw who it was, but whoever it was evidently said something bad. Um, And the whole place just got up and started walking past me out the door. And I woke up and I was like, (gasps) you know, I was like, what happened, right? Uh, And I had this anxious feeling, you know, that feeling you get like when you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, man. Um, Sometimes we go to bed with that anxious feeling from things that have happened during our day. Um, Sometimes we live for periods of time with that anxious feeling because of things going on in our life. And that anxious feeling that we feel is very uncomfortable. It's not something that we desire. It's not something that we want, but all of us experience it at some point in time um, and to different degrees. Jesus is telling them he's about to leave. That anxious feeling that you feel is what those disciples were feeling at this time. They were in this place where they just felt um, a lot of anxiety. And Jesus understands this, Jesus knows this. I mean, he was um, so much to them. Um, Think about this, what causes anxiety in our lives? And what would have caused this anxiety in the lives of these disciples? Uh, One of the things that you can look at and see that causes this anxiety for them is to look at everything that Jesus was for them. And so when he announces that he's leaving, they, they stand to lose a lot. For one thing, they lose their security. Think about this, he had been their security. He'd been the rock that they had leaned on, the rock that they had stood on. Um, He had been their significance. Think about walking around with the miracle worker, right? Uh, They walked around, they had probably had their chest poked out a little bit because they were with Jesus and they were his disciples and he had picked them. And and so there was significance to be found in following Christ and being his disciple. And now he's leaving, they're about to lose this. Um, There was their identity. Uh, You think about even when Peter denies Jesus um, later in the Gospel of John, uh, and he goes and he's standing by the fire, they kept referring to him as You're one of his disciples, one of Jesus's disciples. And so we see in this that their identity was being shaken. Who are we now that Jesus is going away? Um, You see that their provision was being taken away. Think about how Jesus was uh, always providing for them. Uh, he would always uh, have tax, when they, whenever they needed to pay taxes, uh, he would say, go get the fish and then there'll be you know, two drachmas in the fish's mouth and they'd pay their taxes. You think about the many times he fed them. Um, all He was their provision. You think about he was their protector. They went through all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of, of difficulties. And yet the reality of it was when Jesus was with them, they felt safe. When when they were in the storm and they woke Jesus up, he calmed the storm and he did that in all areas of their life. When Jesus was there, they felt peace, they felt comfort. And so now that Jesus was going away, where's our protection gonna come from? And you see that in their lives. Uh, The last thing I would would see in this is their future. They thought they had a future in the kingdom, right? They were gonna sit with Jesus next to him on his throne and they were gonna rule and reign with Jesus and Jesus was gonna establish this throne. And now their whole future is being taken away so one of the things that's causing them anxiety in this moment one of the things that's causing them trouble is the fact that Jesus is going away and they stand to lose all of those things listen to verse 34 and 35 here's something else that's gonna make them feel anxiety verse 34 says a new command I give you love one another as I've loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another When we read that, uh, you know, one thing we think about is the great commandment, right? Uh, To love the Lord your God with with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus had already stated these. Jesus states this a little bit different. He's telling them to love each other, the believers, together. And he says, this is a new command I'm giving you. And you can tell in that sentence that Jesus is hinting at work that still needs to be done, at work that still needs to be accomplished. And so when Jesus is telling them this, there's a sense of anxiety that there's else for us to do but we really don't know what it is and there's a concern in their hearts what if we fail what if we don't even realize what it is we're supposed to be doing and it's causing some turmoil and anxiety in their hearts if you look at the rest of that chapter chapter 13 it says Simon Peter asked him Lord where are you going Jesus replied where I'm going you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And as we look at that, there's this sense that Peter is going to be unfaithful. And yet Peter was the boisterous, the the vocal one, the one who who was willing to try to cut off somebody's head with a sword when they come to arrest Jesus, missed and cut off his ear, right? And so when we look at this, we see that the one who tended to follow the closest, one of the three who was with Jesus all the time, saw the greatest miracles, saw the transfiguration, saw Jesus glorified, all of these things. Uh, he was, if he couldn't stand, then who could stand? If he couldn't stand, then, then who was going to be able to make it? And so there's anxiety that, are we all going to fail him? Are we all going to fall away? Are we all going to be unfaithful? And I was thinking about these things that cause them anxiety. And you know, they're the same exact things that cause us anxiety in our life. If you think about all that Jesus represented to them, uh, think about your life. First of all, how many of you ever live with a troubled heart, with anxiety in your heart? We all struggle with that to some degree. Many of us, our our lives are oftentimes almost tormented by anxiety. And yet the things that cause anxiety are very similar to the things that we see causing this anxiety for them. Think about it. It's when our security becomes threatened. It's when our significance seems to go away. It's so when we look for things to make us secure and we try to find things that will bring significance to us. Uh, it's when our identity is lost and we don't know who we are, or whose we are, and we, we struggle to find who I am. Who am I? Do I need to be this to be okay? Do I need to be that to be okay? And what, what we see is it causes anxiety in our lives. Are we good enough? You see in this that uh, we, we struggle when we feel unprotected. We struggle when we wonder what's gonna happen to us. We struggle when we wonder about our provision. Are we gonna be taken care of? We struggle when we wonder about the future and we don't know if the future is gonna be all right. What's God gonna do in the future? Where's it gonna go? What's my marriage gonna look like? What are my kids gonna be like? That one keeps me up at night. I'm like, man Reed's running around kicking everybody in the shins. I'm like, what's he gonna be when he's 16, right? And so when I think about the future, many times I can become anxious because I don't know what the future exactly holds. When you think about the other things, the fear of failure, man, we all in some way are made anxious at times because we're afraid we're gonna fail. What if we let down our family? What if we let down our kids? What if we let down our coworkers? What if we let down the team? It's one of the things I struggle with here in the church is I don't wanna let down our team. I don't wanna let down this church. I don't wanna let down the people. I want it to be good. I want it to be right. I wanna be glorifying to God. And yet sometimes it's such a fear of failure. And what if I mess it up? What What if I don't do it right? And so we have a fear of failure and we have this fear sometimes of what if I'm not faithful? What if I, what if I don't get to the end of life and I have done it right? What if I look back and I've got all these regrets about what I didn't do or what I did do and I have all these what ifs in my mind. What if I had, what if I had, what if I had. And many times those things tend to haunt us now. And so we live with this anxiety, we live with this troubled heart. And yet Jesus is about to leave, and then he tells them, and he finally answers Peter's question in verse 14, or verse one of chapter 14. And this is what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So what's the key to overcoming troubled hearts? Trust in God and trust in Jesus and trust that he's gonna take care of those things. But isn't it a whole lot simpler to say those things than it is to actually do them? When you're in the moment where you're wondering, like, what's gonna happen? Isn't it a lot easier to be like, well, bless God, we'll trust in him. Yeah, it's easy to say it, but is it easy to do it? And so Jesus makes this statement, but then he's gonna back it up. He's going to back it up with some promises that he gives. And if you and I can grab hold of these promises, if you and I can stand on these promises, if you and I can trust God in these promises, then when the things of the world begin to try to shake our foundation, we stand firm on something that will stand. And so we have to come to this. I want to go through chapter 14 with you real quick. I want you to see some of these promises that Jesus gives them. When he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. The next thing he says is in verses two, three, four. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And so Jesus, to back up this statement that if you'll trust in me, you'll have peace. If you'll trust in me, I can calm your troubled hearts. He tells them this, and the promises that he's making them is that I'm going to be with you for eternity. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'll be with you for eternity. And we see this in here. His promises that he's going to come back for them, that he's not going to leave them uh, to themselves, but he's going to come back. And so the great promise of God is that our eternity will be with Christ I've said this before but I would say it again if we don't enjoy his presence now why would we ever want to go and spend eternity with him so the call to our lives is do we enjoy him now do we spend time with him now because he's telling us here that that's the promise is that he's going to come back for us and that we'll spend eternity with him in his kingdom They were so worried about what the future held and what the future held for the kingdom. And he said, I'm coming back for you. That hasn't changed, but you gotta open your eyes and see the bigger picture. That it's not about this kingdom on earth, it's about the kingdom of heaven and the new earth that will be. So many times we get so worried and tied up over the future because we lose sight of what God's really promised. And for those of us who are in Christ, what our inheritance is, it's everything that is Jesus. It is everything that that is about him. And it's everything, has everything to do with us being in his presence forever. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what many times keeps us moving forward when our present and our future seems to be coming unraveled, it's the hope and the knowledge that I'll spend eternity with Jesus in glory. Verse five says, after Jesus makes this statement, Thomas asked him a question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answers in one of those famous scriptures, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Listen, the second promise that Jesus tells them is this, I've made a way where there is no way. See, there was no way for them to get to where Jesus had been. There there was no way that they could get to where Jesus was going. But Jesus made a way. And we know this as the gospel. We know now that it was a good thing that Jesus went away because the way he went away was through the cross and the cross paid for our sin so that we could be forgiven. It bridged the gap between where Jesus is going and where we are because we had no hope of ever getting there. And yet Jesus bridged the gap for us. And he's assuring them this in this text that I am the way. I'm the way to life. I am the truth. I'll show you the way. In fact, you've seen the way. Now just trust me as the way and I'll get you to where I'm going. And so he's, con- he's telling them, he's, he's, he's assuring them of this, that Jesus himself is the way. See, Christianity is not some spiritual path to enlightenment. It's not some, some spiritual journey that just, we just follow um, some certain path and certain requirements. Uh, the, the thing that's different for Christianity and every other religion is we don't believe in a philosophy, we believe in a person. We believe in a person who is the way. In John chapter 10, this is what he says in verses seven through 10. It says therefore Jesus said again I tell you the truth I am the gate for the sheep All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers but the gate but the sheep did not listen to them I'm the gate whoever enters through me will be saved he will come in and go out and find pasture The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so we see in this, Jesus one through an I am statement is claiming his deity, he's claiming to be God. And in that same statement, he's saying, I, God, Jesus am the gate. I'm the way you're gonna pass through. I'm the way you're gonna get to heaven. Why? Because the cross has bridged the gap between where we are and where he went and where he is. And so we have this ability now to be bridged with him, to be one with him, to be in a relationship with him that is ongoing. For eternity. Listen to the rest of, or the next few verses here. After he says this, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. So Philip doesn't necessarily ask a question, but he, he, he asked something of Jesus. Do this for us and this will be enough. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. i tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He would do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. See, throughout that text, one of the things that Jesus is reassuring them of, one of the things he's promising them is that he is giving them assurance of the nature and the character of God. He's giving them an assurance of the nature and character of God. When he's saying, listen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father if you've seen me you've seen the father see his character is predictable why because he's the same yesterday today and forever he won't wake up tomorrow and be unmerciful why because he is a god of mercy he won't wake up tomorrow not that he sleeps or slumbers but he won't tomorrow when we wake up he won't be there um, becoming unjust and doing things that are not justified Uh, he won't be unrighteous because he never changes his character is predictable he's kind of like my Um, four-year-old when He's up to something. You can tell. It's all over his face. The other day, um, he comes out of our house. Susan and I were in the backyard. He comes out of the house. He sits down on the steps and he's like this. I told Susan right then, I said, He's done something. As soon as I got it out of my mouth, the back door opened and Jackson comes out Daddy, Reed kicked me in the head. And it was so plain and so obvious to see. How do we know that? Because we know his behavior. We know it's predictable. We know that he and his brother, Jackson, they fight like cats and dogs. They fight all the time. And and so we knew by his behavior that he was up to something. Listen, we know that that if my four-year-old is that predictable, think about how much more the God of the universe is predictable. We know what he's like. We know who he is. He's not going to change tomorrow. He's not going to change next week. He's not going to change next year. The promises he's made are yes and amen in Christ, period. That's it. That's the end of discussion. Everything he's promised will happen. Everything he's promised is going to happen because he is good, he's sovereign, he's faithful and we can trust him and we know that he's going to do everything that he said. And so we can trust him and we have this assurance of his nature and character. We know what he's like. When we look at Jesus, you want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that he's the full expression of God. That we can know what God is like by looking to Christ. This is something you can do at home. You can sit down and make out a list and ask this question. What would I want God to be like? And you write that down and then you compare it. Because I did this. I listed out the 10 things that I would want God to be like. And every one of them, Jesus fulfilled. As we look at this, we see the full expression of God in Christ. He came to reveal him to us. The next few verses, it says this, says in verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command and I'll ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in with you and will be in you. See, that the next promise that he makes for us is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that many people, many Christians, we forsake this, this uh, gift of God, who is God, who is the Holy Spirit. In fact, many times we, we relate well to the Father, we relate well to the Son, but we sort of disregard the Spirit. Many times we don't call him him or he, we call it it. Why? Because it simply seems to be hard to understand. But the thing that if you look at this, you can begin to understand that is just as we can look at Jesus and understand who the father is, we can look at Jesus and understand who the Holy Spirit is. We can look at Jesus and begin to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing we can't do church. We can't do life without the Holy Spirit. Just like the disciples could no longer do life without Jesus, we can no longer do life without the Spirit of God. I think it was Billy Graham who made the comment that 95% of everything that's done in church today could be done without the Holy Spirit. That's, That's not good, that's wrong. And many times the church gets so good at programs and gets so good at what we do and gets so good at at perfecting uh, the the environment and perfecting all of the the things and then perfecting all of the, the lights and the sound and all of these things that we just take God and we put him in the corner and we just say, you just sit there and watch what I can do. You know what we can do on our own? Nothing. You know what you can do in your life apart from him? Nothing. And many of us today, including myself, we need to come to a place where we surrender to the Spirit of God, where we say, Jesus, I need your Spirit in me. Send him to live in me because I can't do it on my own. But until we get to a place where we finally say, I've had enough of me, I can't live with me any longer, you need to change me, we'll never get to a place where the Spirit's moving in us and moving through us the way he desires to move through us the way he wants to work in us. And as he begins to promise these things, there's some things that we see. For one of them, he says that he's gonna ask the father, he's gonna give another counselor. The word for another means one just like. Counselor is the word, is paraclete, it means advocate. So basically what he's saying is, I'm gonna give you another advocate. I'm gonna give you another Jesus. I'm gonna give you one who not only will walk beside you, but that will be in you and live in you, empowering you. So he tells us that this is what the Spirit of God is going to do. He says, and he will be with you forever. So we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our lives, he is the personal presence of God. He's the personal presence of Jesus working in our lives. And, and we can think it's cuckoo, we can think it's way out there, But the reality of it is we can't do what God wants us to do apart from the Spirit of God. We can't overcome our flesh. We can't overcome our evil desires. We can't overcome our addiction. We can't overcome anything until we surrender to God's Spirit. We've got to come to a place where we finally say yes to Him. And we don't come and write out on our, on, on our life what we're willing for him to do. No, it comes like a, black, a blank check and he fills in the blank. We come and surrender to him. What is it, God, you want me to do? See, we say yes before we ask him what it is. Whatever you want, God. Now tell me what to do. Yes, Lord. Now what? But we gotta to get to that place and understand this is Jesus with us. This is Jesus with us. This is Jesus in us. It goes on and says, he's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and be in you. Verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So we see the personal presence of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. It says before long, uh, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. What was he talking about? The world wasn't going to see him. Why? Because he was going to be crucified. He's going to be put in a tomb. Three days later, he walks out, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And we see that he promises then that just as I live, you're going to live. So the other thing we see about the Holy Spirit is that he's the life giver. Many of us wonder why our relationship with God is so dry. Why why is the word no longer coming alive? It's because we've forsaken the life giver. We've decided to do church without him. We've decided to do this God thing without him. And it's impossible for us to do such. And so we have to come to a place where we're recognizing him as the life giver and surrendering to him as the life giver and realizing that all of our life is wrapped up in God. All of our life is wrapped up in the spirit of God. Verse 20, on that day, meaning when he's, once he's resurrected, once he's come to life, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. The first thing out of this verse, we see that the Holy Spirit is, as he's the regenerator. He's talking about, if you love me, I'm gonna send the spirit to you and, and you'll obey me. Why? Because the spirit of God changes our heart. We sing that song, and one of the things that that song says, um, Spirit of the Living God, is, is it tells us that once we have the Spirit of the Living God in us, He changes what we see, how we see life. He changes what we seek, how we seek things in the world, by, because the Spirit of God begins to transform our hearts. I was thinking about Father's Day, and it's, Father's Day is one of the lowest attended Sundays in church throughout the year. And and here's the thing I realized about Father's Day. This is true for me, this is true for every dad. It is the one day our selfish desires are justified, right? It's like the one day that we can say, I'm taking a nap and not feel guilty about it, right? We can just, just, and I remember one time, somebody was like, what you gonna do for Father's Day? I was like, I'm gonna take a nap. And Susan's like, that's not different than any other Sunday. I was like, "Better hush, woman. And, and, and it's that one day that our, our, all of our selfish desire, whatever we want to do, right, uh, with, with certain boundaries, um, whatever we want to do. And here's the thing I've realized, and it's such a sad thing, that, that this Sunday would be the least attended Sunday of the year. And what I realize is if we look at what we do on Father's Day and ask the question, did I lead my family closer to Jesus or further away from him? Then that is a convicting question because that tells us what we do the other 364 days out of the year because it points to our true desires. Do we really wanna lead our families the way Jesus? See, to do that, it takes a transformed heart. It takes a regenerated heart. It takes a heart that, 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 that wants and desires the things of God, which is not our natural tendency. The next thing out of verse 21 is it says that he's gonna show himself to us. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. He teaches us more about Jesus. It says he's the spirit of truth. He teaches us things about who Jesus is and what he's like. Following that, Philip or Judas, not Judas Iscariot said, this is in verse 22, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? So this is his question. You say you're going to show yourself to us through the spirit, but what, 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 why, why are you doing this? And then Jesus replies, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. See, here's the promise of Jesus in this text. He's saying, if you love me, we'll come to you. But he's not just saying for eternity, he's saying now. He's saying right now, he's saying, Philip, the reason I'm going to reveal myself to you is because you love me. The reason I'm going to reveal myself to you is because I love you. And that's what people do. They share their lives together when they love each other, when they care for each other. And he's saying right now, we'll come and make our home with you. But my question to you is this, have you experienced that? Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing the presence of the spirit of God? Are you experiencing the presence of Jesus in your day-to-day lives? Or are we going through life just mustering up our own strength? I was thinking about Isaiah in chapter 40. And I wanna read this to you just real quick. Begins in verse 25. This is what the Lord says. He says, to whom will you compare me? Speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Pages stuck together. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I read that just to tell you that if you are in Christ, this is the spirit that is in you. This is the God who lives in you. This God who, who, who put the stars in place knows every one of them holds them in place not one of them is missing this God who who's bigger than anything we face and Jesus is saying this is the God who's with you now how through the spirit of God see he wouldn't only be with us but he would be in us and I'm afraid I fear that we've lost our focus on what the Holy Spirit is about what he does and who he is We need to see him as God. We need to relate to him as God. We need to call on on him as God. And that's what I I want to remind you of today. He's God. We need the spirit. How do we walk in the spirit? We surrender to the spirit. And we cry out what we sang earlier, spirit of the living God. We're hanging on every word. We only want to see you. We only want to experience you. But is that the cry of our heart? Are we satisfied with church as usual? Are we just satisfied going through life in our own strength? Just mustering up the strength to get through one more day. And sometimes that's all we feel like we can do. But remember that there is another source of power. There's another way. It's depending on God. It's trusting in Him. Because many times what wears us out and wears us down are the anxieties of life and the stress that we experience. And Jesus has told us not to let our hearts be troubled, but to trust in God and trust in Him. And in light of these promises, in light of all these things that God has shown us, in light of the fact that He promises an eternity with Him, in light of the fact that when we look at uh, this text, that he promises us a way when there was no way. He promises assurance of, of the God, nature and character of God. He promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit and he promises us his presence now. Now, I don't even know if that, if that registers. I, I, just, I just pray that our hearts would become hungry that listen, our thirsty hearts, we would recognize their thirst for God and we would begin to cry out. If you don't know what to do, you cry out. You just say, God, I need you. I need more of you. I need your spirit in my life. I surrender to you. Whatever it is, God, I say, yes. Now, what do you want me to do? Now, where is it you want me to lead? But I don't wanna go anywhere if your presence isn't there. I feel that every week whenever I'm about to come out here and I'm about to speak to you guys. God, if you're not going with me, I don't wanna go. I can't do anything. Only God can do something in our hearts. Only God can give us new hearts. You see, God calls us to this place where we surrender to the Holy Spirit. Some of you today have, have said yes to God. And the thing that he's told you is that your next step is to be baptized um, today. And that's why we're doing this. The Bible says, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It doesn't say obey my commands and you'll love me. It doesn't say obey my commands and I'll love you. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And for some today, uh, the next step that God's told you to take is to be baptized. Before we ever do baptisms, I just wanna tell you a little bit about what they are. Baptisms are when we identify ourselves with Jesus. I wanna be very clear, the water does not save you. I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's kinda of harsh, cover your ears, but here's the reality. You can get baptized apart from faith in Christ and all you do is go to hell with it water doesn't save you faith in Christ saves you this is our identification with Jesus publicly saying I'm a follower of Jesus I'm a follower of Christ it's the first thing that Jesus tells us it's the first thing the Bible teaches us that once we are saved once we give our life to him that we go into the baptismal waters and we're baptized in his name making a public profession of faith saying yes to him it's our identification with his, his uh, cleansing our life through his death um, on the cross where we go under the water and we come back up. It's symbolic of our, our identification with his resurrection that one day we'll experience the same thing as we go under the water and we come back up. Uh, it's our identification with the community of believers. It's saying, I belong to this body of Christians. I belong to the body of Christ. I'm not just to Connection Church, but to the body, the Big C Church, that we're saying we um, are a part of this body. It's our identification with him, of his purity, of his resurrection, of being a part of his body. For some of you, maybe you've never been baptized or you haven't been baptized as a believer. Here's the three questions I would ask you that'll help you decide that. Have you confessed Jesus as the savior of your life? Is he the savior of your life? Have you said yes to him as savior, trusting in him, putting the full weight of your eternity on him? If you have done that, then he is the savior of your life. Um, Have you said yes to him as Lord of your life? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Have you not only confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Uh, but but also in surrender you said god you are my god you i I put you on the throne of my life i surrender my life to you because here's the reality in order for salvation to take place we, we need to confess that he is our savior and we need to surrender to him as lord here's the third question i would ask you have you been baptized as a believer once those two things took place have you been baptized as a believer because here's what I would tell you. If the answer to that is yes, yes, no. Yes, I've said he, and confessed and believe he is my savior. Yes, I've made him the Lord of my life. No, I have not been baptized. And according to scripture, your next step in obedience to the Lord is to be baptized. I can't make you do that. Only the spirit of God can, can prompt you to that. But today we're gonna to celebrate those who've taken that step and who said, have said yes to baptism. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if anybody's getting baptized in this service. But I, I'm gonna believe that in just a second, we're gonna see people come forward who, who say, yes, today's the day I need to be baptized. If you didn't bring shorts, you didn't bring shirts, you didn't bring um, underclothing, you didn't bring anything. We got it in the back. Here's the question. Is it your day, today today that you take the next step of being baptized? If it is, then I'm gonna invite you On the count of three, you get up and you come, and you come forward, we're gonna celebrate you being baptized. If nobody responds, it's gonna be really embarrassing, but it'll be all right, we'll live through the awkwardness. So I'm gonna, on the count of three, on the count of three, you begin to move. One, two, three. Anybody in this service today that's gonna be baptized? You know that the Lord's speaking to your heart and saying, today is the day. Cody, our youth pastor, is the only one. Anybody in here today? we didn't know what service that everybody had signed up for. That's okay. That's okay. The thing that God's really put on my heart for you, and I was going to do this after we dismissed the people who, who were being baptized. The thing that God's really put on my heart this morning for the rest of us, who maybe we've said yes to that, is where Jesus goes on in verse 25, and he says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus ends that paragraph with with the very uh, thing that we began in the beginning with. Do not be troubled. Do not let your heart be afraid. And he tells them, I'll give you peace. And I don't give it as the world gives it. See, our peace is not circumstantial. Our peace is not based on circumstance. Our peace is based on a person and based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, I just wanna do this. And I, we may get the same response as we got just then with baptisms. That's okay too. Well, it's not okay, but we'll, we'll make it okay. But today, here's my question. Today, you would cry out and say, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And you say, well, I was filled with the spirit of God when I was saved. Absolutely, you were. But the same people who were filled in Acts chapter two, if you go to Acts chapter four, after they pray, it says they were, the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go to Ephesians 5.18, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It literally means be being filled as a continuation. And maybe you're in a place where it just seems dry. Maybe you're in a place where it just seems like I I need something more. Maybe, listen, maybe you're in a place like I was several years ago, when I began to realize there's more to God than what I'm experiencing. I want more. I want more. And today you're willing to say, I surrender to that more, whatever that more is in my life, I'm gonna say yes, and then I'm gonna let God do what he does. This is what I'm going to ask you to do, and then I'm going to dismiss everybody else, and we're going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to come and not kneel here at the altar. I want you to come, and I'm going to ask you to come and stand up here so that me and our prayer team can come and pray for you, because I believe this. I believe there's power in the laying on of hands, and the power there's power in prayer, and I believe God responds to our faith when we come and surrender to Him, and I believe God desires to do a great work in you. He desires to do a great work in me, and I would ask you that when I ask you to come, that you get up with a heart of expectancy expecting that God would do something in your heart and not even knowing what that is yet but saying yes to him now God do what you will in my life and in my heart so here's the thing I'm going to give you this opportunity if today you would like prayer for that if you'd like prayer for the spirit to be filled again to be constantly filled maybe be refreshed whatever language you want to use to describe it If you desire more of God, I'm going to ask you, would you get out of your seat? Would you come and let us pray for you right here? Would you move? I can count to three. We can do it that way. Or you can just get up and come on if that's you. Just come on. Let's just do it that way. You just come and let us pray for you. Just come and stand here. We're just going to come by and pray for you. We need the spirit of the living God. It's not just a song we sing. It's what we truly need. It's it's who we are. I'm going to ask the prayer team, uh, maybe some of our connect group leaders, if you would come and begin to pray for these people. The rest of us, let me pray, pray a quick prayer over you guys. If you still feel the tug, you come on. And we're gonna pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your heart. Thank you for our lives. Jesus, as we go out of this place, fill us, flood us with your spirit. Jesus, do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives. Change us, God. God, move in us. Give us boldness. Your word says that when they were filled in Acts chapter four, they preached the word boldly. Give us boldness to go out and proclaim your word. God, speak peace to our hearts through your promises, through, God, your promises for us. Let our troubled hearts be stilled. Let our troubled hearts be brought to peace. Let anx- anxiety and anxiousness flee as we surrender and we trust in you, God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name.